Welcome to the FDN Thrive Podcast. We interview leaders in the functional health space who bring you the most up-to-date, cutting-edge information for people who have tried it all for their health issues. We hope you enjoy the show. When autoimmune is at play, it's not an issue with the organ that it's affecting. It's an imbalance in the immune system itself. And that was when the light bulb went off and I was like, that guy's on to somebody. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. My name is Evan Transu, aka Health Coach Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Now, you are listening or watching, potentially, the first video episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. So if you're listening to this on a podcast platform and you'd like to check us out on video, search FDN Thrive on YouTube. And hopefully we're also going to be having these on our Instagram, believe it or not. So if you're not following us on Instagram, you should do that anyway. FDN Thrive on Instagram. Check us out there. Now, our first guest who stepped up so boldly and confidently to the plate is Torea Rodriguez. And Torea is... Interesting, to say the least. This woman has done a lot of things. I can only imagine what she's going to do in another 30, 40 years of her life. Um, It's really, really fascinating to talk to someone like this who has been able to be successful in so many different areas. Clearly a highly intelligent person, and I loved talking to her. Now, after completing her undergraduate degree in biochemistry, Torea has embodied transformation and self-discovery. She's worked at some of the leading dot-com Silicon Valley companies, has held executive positions there, and she used to be a professional pilot flying um, jets for private families and charter companies out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, with her own health issues, she actually went back to the biochemistry days and actually achieved remission of her health issues as well as certification through the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Program. Today, she coaches her clients through their own unique transformational experience that helps restore health, vitality, and balance the immune system so they can focus on their dreams without sacrificing their health. Again, I have probably never interviewed someone on this podcast yet that had such a diversity in their background. Super intelligent uh, woman, super fun to talk to. And we also really got into EMFs at the end of this. Now, we did not do that in the way of wearing some tinfoil hat. We talked about the practicals of EMFs, what we can do to take some easy steps in our life to mitigate the risks of this, and also the science behind it. Because yes, there is science behind the things that um, EMFs can do to us. It is not just tinfoil hat stuff. So I hope you enjoy this first video episode or just the interview in general. But without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right. Hello, Torea, our first ever video guest on the FDN Thrive podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, you are so welcome. And I'm excited to do this. This is fun. Yeah. Torea was actually already scheduled for an audio one. And I emailed her. I'm like, hey, listen, we do offer this now. She's like, let's go. Let's do it. You know, so I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fun because I do think this is, it has the potential to be more engaging. There's certainly days where I'm just driving in my car and I'm not watching a video or anything. But if I'm like scrolling on social media, I think it's much more engaging for people to get to see cool clips about things that we said. So we'll have fun today. And um, yeah, and it forces me to as you know, but we won't mention that. Get ready for the day during this pandemic. You know what I mean? So I do know what you mean. Awesome. All right. Well, let's start off just like we do with virtually everyone else on this podcast. I'd love to dive into a little bit of the health conditions either you have dealt with or people in your life have dealt with, because what I have found universally is that no one is in this space by mistake. They either have a personal story or a family story. So tell us about that a little bit. It's a personal story for me. So, um, 
you know, I was doing a completely different career prior to this. Um, I thought I had found my dream career. In fact, I, I had found my dream career. And um, I was working as a professional pilot. So I was working for a charter company. I was flying for families here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, I was just getting into flying jets away from turboprops. Like I was doing all these really fun, cool things. Right. And the thing that was really starting to get to me is I was um, not really recovering from sleep. I would sleep like 14 hours a night. And you would think that that was a red flag. <laughs> it, it is a red flag for anybody listening. That's a red flag. Um, but I would sleep that long, and but I wouldn't feel recovered, right? And so I happened to mention it to my OBGYN, because that was the only doctor that I saw regularly at that time. And uh, she decided to run some blood work. And she discovered that my thyroid was really off. And she referred me over to an endocrinologist. And he diagnosed me with Hashimoto's. And that was something that turned out to be particularly hard to treat, even though Hashimoto's is very, very common. For me, it was really hard to treat. And um, because I was a pilot with the FAA, there's medical oversight when you get a medical condition, meaning you have to uh, present lab work to your aviation medical examiner. Not only do you have an endocrinologist, you also have a medical examiner. And, and for whatever reason, we could not get my thyroid numbers to stay consistently in the normal range. And we're talking conventional normal range. So it just wouldn't stay there. And um, so I went to my endocrinologist and said, look, here's the deal. In one month, I see my medical examiner. I need to pass that test or I have to take a leave of absence and stop flying. Like I can't fail the test because that's even worse. <laughs> so what are we going to do? And he just basically looked at me and he was like, mm, well, I don't really know what else to do except for to irradiate the thyroid and cut out the rest of the tissue. And that was when I was like, okay, stop. Um, so, you know, that whole process of me getting a diagnosis, dealing with those symptoms and having to leave a career for a medical condition is really what got me into this space of being super curious about a more natural approach towards healing. What is so interesting is that, you know, as you and I were talking about even before and then right now, how like functional healthcare kind of calls you, right? Like it's not necessarily yes. something that a five-year-old says, mommy and daddy, I want to be an FDN when I grow up. Not yet at least, right? And not yet. so because of that, and it, because it kind of pulls people, it is something where I find the backgrounds are so diverse and you never know what industry someone's going to come out of. I've never interviewed a pilot, so that's pretty interesting. I got to ask just as a qu two quick side notes. One is what are like, are there certain very high health standards that they hold these people to? Because obviously we take aviation safety very uh, seriously, I guess, in this country. So like, how does that work? Are the standards high? I would say the standards are, they're there. They're not optimal. Put it that way. Now that I understand what Western optimal medicine? health is, yeah. <laughs> they're, they are high for Western medicine. So eventually I think I kind of crack the code. Like what is it that they're looking for? So, um, you know, the, the lead medical directors at the FAA in Oklahoma city, they're going to look at all of the medical conditions and look for keywords like, um, cardiac arrhythmia or unconsciousness or anything like that. Cause I couldn't figure out like, why are they putting such a microscope on Hashimoto's? Like millions of women have Hashimoto's. What's the deal? And if you start to look at the extreme symptoms of when somebody is really, really, really 
off kilter with thyroid. There is cardiac arrhythmia, arrhythmia if they are over medicated, and there is unconsciousness if they are under medicated and have yeah. no thyroid, right? So that's what they're looking for is these keywords. So if anybody is going to lose consciousness, pass out, have a heart attack, like those kinds of things in a cockpit, they're absolutely going to put a stopper on your flying career. And so if you have something that there's a lot of middle ground, though, they want you to have a little bit of additional oversight. So it's in various different levels. So for me, I had to see the medical examiner twice a year as oversight, whereas somebody with a heart condition, known heart condition, but it was being monitored, they might have to see them every single month. So there's different levels of how much oversight they allow, but then there's completely unqualifying conditions. So for example, if you um, suffer from seizures, you're grounded. That's basically what it, what it is, right? So yes, there is a level of safety in our FAA system. I'm glad that there's at least something, and I, I love that you specified a tie by maybe Western standards because um, I did a personal podcast on here a while ago talking about my health journey. And one of the things was, I, mean, I had a phobic level fear of flying. I actually had a plan. I'm never getting on one again in my life. Didn't fly for 13 years. Um, I know what the Queen Mary 2 is. It's the only cruise that will take you basically for several weeks out from, I think, New York to uh, England or something. And like, it'll get you to Europe basically. So I'm like, I don't ever need to fly. And uh, long story short, getting actually help naturally really did reduce that for me. But I always sat there. I, I still do it to this day. I can't help but sit in a plane and wonder. I'm like, I wonder how healthy that person or people are in the cockpit, you know, so it's good to know that some standards being upheld. Um, and there are my, some standards. Yes. Yes. My second side note from before, just, I mean, it has nothing to do with health, just out of sheer curiosity, because that's a unique job for sure. What led you to wanting to become a pilot? <laughs> so um, I am a woman of many careers. And prior to that, I was working in the tech industry in Silicon Valley and, you know, doing the the cubicle. I work at a tech company thing. And um, and it was fun for a while, but I, I just am not cut out for cubicle life. I'm just not. And so I was trying to figure out, well, what do I do? You know, I, I have a background in science. Maybe I'll go back to veterinary medicine or, you know, I was really just kind of weighing the options. And, um, a girlfriend of mine actually had learned how to fly in her dad's airplane. And I was inspired by, oh, that looks like a fun hobby kind of thing. Like I could do that to pass the time and keep myself from being totally bored out of my mind. Um, so I took a couple of flight lessons and I came back and I was completely hooked. I don't know if it's the adrenaline junkie in me or what, but I was just hooked with the view, hooked with the technology, hooked with you know, the, the rules, like following the rules, like I I love games, that kind of thing. So it just checked off so many different checkboxes that I just decided, you know what, forget graduate school. I'm going to put my time and my money into civilian flight school and get myself through the ratings and whatever is required to become a professional pilot. So I pretty much put my focus on that for about four or five years to do that outside of my corporate job. And then eventually one day was able to become a flight instructor full time. And that's how I started and just worked up the ranks from there. Nice. I've heard of a lot of side gigs. I don't know if I've ever heard of like someone pursuing, you know, flight almost like, hey, I'm going to work full time and still go do that. that. That's so interesting. And my family always laughs because, again, I'm someone who you know wouldn't get on one for about 13 years because of fear. But once I finally did, I'm already looking at my local towns. Uh, you know how they do those like $100 lessons or whatever. And I, yes. I definitely... For me, I, I pinpointed as kind of the adrenaline junkie because once I get over that, I'm like, 
well, that was pretty cool. Like, I'd love to be the person flying it. So I don't know if anyone would want me as their pilot just because of the fear I've had around it. But nonetheless, uh, that's just very cool. And um, yeah, definitely a lot of different uh, careers I've already heard. So, And what's I, fascinating about flying, and I've heard this from flight students too, is that they've had a fear of flying until they are the person who's at the controls. And then all of a sudden, that fear goes away. So there's a little bit of that element, like somebody can be fearful of riding in, in a car when somebody's driving fast, but when they drive fast, it's, it's fine. You know, so it, it could be that too. Yeah, I mean, definitely, hopefully my family or girlfriend doesn't hear any of this because I think they would agree with that control aspect for sure. So anyway, back to the functional health side of things. There's one thing I want to do before we actually talk about going through FDN and all these things. Sure. You have this moment, obviously, where this is new to you. I mean, like you're you're sick, right? You can't even get it within normal range. And for those that don't know, I'm assuming, are you just talking about TSH for the diagnosis? Yeah, Yeah, that's that is all the FA cared about was TSH. That's all the endocrinologist cared about. Okay. And that's a wonderful separate topic, but yes, just so for those know, I mean, like the Western medicine range is relatively loose and has historically been even looser compared to the functional range, but people can go extraordinarily out of the range. Like um, for example, I think, well, here, I'll let you do this because I don't want to misspeak here. What is like a typical conventional range for TSH now? Because I know it's gotten smaller Um, over the years. It's probably gotten smaller over the years, but when I was dealing with the um, FAA medical examiner, they wanted to see TSH in between one and five. Okay. And so that's still a very broad range. I think now it's like one to four, something like that. Still really broad. Um, And what was happening for me is it was swinging back and forth. So one lab, it would be 0.25 and then it would be like 2.5 and then it would be 10. And so it it was bouncing all over the charts. And yeah. Yeah. And like, so historically, I know that it's in relatively recent times, like, you know, it's been, there's certain doctors that would do like a one to 10. We know now a 10, I mean, that's full out, like that's a sluggish thyroid function. That's not great. I felt awful at 10. There was no going to work, let alone, you know, having a medical examiner say, yeah, I can't go to work. Like I was not going to work when I felt that way. Okay. So when this is going on and it was the, I guess this idea or concept of, hey, either surgery or radiation therapy that we're going to basically do something to this thyroid that you're like, wait a second. Okay. I don't want to take that path. Now I'm guessing after that, you're starting to look at more natural alternatives. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I mean, want to go way back background. Um, you know, I kind of grew up with hippie parents, organic farm, you know, garden, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So I had some insight to health food stores and, and that kind of thing. And for the most part, I felt like I was taking care of myself. I was trying to be vegetarian, lots of healthy whole grains. Like I was really trying to do the right things, like living on the road eating at restaurants all the time, you kind of do whatever you can to be as healthy as possible. And so that's what I thought was healthy at the time. But um, for me, the thought of going through radiation and surgery, that felt really extreme, just knowing that there were so many women with thyroid disease. How come we're just not seeing everybody with scars on their necks. Like that doesn't, that didn't make sense. And so I thought, well, there's got to be a more natural approach to thyroid disease that may not end up in the let's give you pills, 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 surgery, cut it out kind of thing. 
Perfect. And yeah, you kind of beat me to the next question because I always like to know, is there a background there? Because there's plenty of people that, you know, get their diagnosis or diagnoses. They've never touched this stuff and they just start learning about natural. Um, I think it's wonderful that you had that, you know, there's some inclination there. However, the key point that I want to focus on and people that are regular listeners, they're probably getting sick of me, but I need to promote this for people. You were using your head and saying, hey, wait a second. Why don't we see scars on everyone's necks? That's such a good point. Why don't I see that all the time? Why isn't everyone having this done? And when we start asking why, and like everyone knows how kids go, why, 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 why? If you even go one or two whys deep for some of the decisions that are being made for you medically a lot of the time, you'll start to really scratch your head. And you're like, hmm, Absolutely. what's going on here? So not only is that great, but I want everyone else out there that is listening to this, please trust your gut. I am not saying you know necessarily that we know more than doctors. That's not even the case at all. But we need to use some common sense and intuition when things don't feel right. Um, and I always, I mean, my kind of common sense thought with this Terea was that when I was like 16 and I felt really sick, I was not into this stuff yet. But I remember looking around my classroom um, in, it was like a science class. And now we were learning about things like natural selection or whatever. Now, I'm not here to get into that. I know everyone has different beliefs around those things. That's not the point. The point to me is I'm being told in this classroom that my genes, as well as every single other person in this class, were superior. We made it out of the wild. We did it. We're cream of the crop. Well, half the kids are overweight. I got severe acne. My mental health's a mess. That kid's on an inhaler. He has to go down for his type one diabetic medication every day. This is the cream of the crop. And we're all not even 20. It it didn't, that's where I'm not saying I have a scientific basis in that. It's just a common sense thing that Terea, you were talking about. Does that add up? No, the the narrative's wrong there. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. And it was really one of those moments where even the women pilots that I knew that had thyroid disease, none of them were, I think I met one who had elected for surgery. (laughs) Everybody else, it was easy to manage. And I was like, why is it not easy to manage. Why am I, why is my TSH swinging so much? Why can't we get it stable was really what caused me to say, okay, I need to take a different approach. And clearly if I just ask another endocrinologist, I'm likely to get the same answer. So who else can I ask? And that's really when I said, okay, I'm going to just take that leave of absence and then go try and fix it. And for a probably a good six to 12 months. That was my core focus. I got to fix it so I can get back to flying. And yeah, so there's more. Okay, cool. And that's what I want to dive into next. So what did that six to 12 months like actually entail when you're diving into different things, trying to figure this out? It was a lot of hanging out with Dr. Google, um, which is both good and bad. And, you know, it was really reading a lot about thyroid, thyroid treatment, the difference between um, Hashimoto's and just sluggish thyroid, you know, understanding that, okay, autoimmune's at play, but the thyroid's not functioning, like really trying to figure that out. And I don't remember how I did it, but I stumbled across a blog article that Chris Kresser had written way back in the day. So this, he must have written it in like, 2011, 2012. And I read that and all of a sudden the light bulbs went off because he said something to the effect of when autoimmune is at play, it's not an issue with the organ that it's affecting. It's an imbalance in the immune system itself. And that was when the light bulb went off. And I was like, that guy's onto something. 
something. So I don't care if he's in Chicago. I don't care where he is. I'm going to track him down, call his office and beg to work with him. And that's basically what I did. And it turned out he, he was actually in Berkeley, California at the time. So he was local to me. Um, but he, he and I had a conversation over the phone and he was willing to take on my case. And that's who I started with. And he was the one who introduced me to functional medicine and natural medicine and, and really digging under the covers to see what's going on with the biochemistry of the body to understand where the inefficiencies are and start from there. Awesome. So what were you learning while you're working with him? Like, because, and again, you know, this is obviously a podcast for the consumer. So sometimes they haven't even heard a few of the basic things. Like, was it a lot of diet where you overloaded on supplements? Like what were some of the things that you're finding right away that, okay, we need to work on this? Because like you said, you grew up with these uh, self-proclaimed hippie parents and you were doing what you thought was healthy as so many of us out there are doing. Right. So some of the things that, I mean, he ran so many different tests. Um, I now know what they are, but he ran a blood chemistry. He ran um, a hormone test. He ran an adrenal profile. He ran, um, you know, a stool test, all sorts of things. And some of the things that he really spelled out for me is that the diet wasn't working for me. The vegetarian diet wasn't working for me. I was severely iron anemic. Um, at the time, which would explain why I was getting hypoxic symptoms at lower altitudes than other pilots. Um, You know, there were some other things that he really uncovered. There was, um, I wasn't getting enough nutrients from the way that I was eating. There was inflammation being driven probably from the gluten that I was including in my healthy whole grain diet. Um, So he put me on an autoimmune paleo um, type diet in, in the beginning. And then we did several rounds of protocols with gut pathogens that we found and really trying to lower inflammation and that kind of thing. And for me working with him, it was kind of, um, a little, um, overwhelming at first because he found so many things. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to sort through this? But then I started reading the different, um, articles about it and bless his heart. I kept bugging him. Can you send me the PubMed article on this? Can you send me the PubMed article on this mechanism so that I can understand it? He sent me so many that I just was like, okay, now I finally understand. And with my undergraduate degree in biochemistry, I finally had an applicable um, case for the biochemistry, right? It's like, oh, me, like I got to fix the biochemistry side of things. And so that is really what led me towards, gosh, can I do this for a living? Can I really get into this? Um, And that's kind of how I got towards and how I found FDN, to be honest. Okay. My, my laughing, shaking my head there was because I love how we have the tech background, becomes a pilot, becomes an FDN, which again, the FDN thing's hard enough and then just throws in, oh, by the way, undergraduate in biochemistry. Like, okay, you have a very interesting kind of, background. Exactly. I, yeah. So I, I have many, many different interests. I like to go into them very deeply cool. and, you know, I like to shift back and forth a lot, but I didn't have anything very applicable for biochemistry when I graduated from school. Right. So I just kind of went into tech because it was there. And yeah. So anyway, that's kind of how I came back full circle is, you know, Chris was so gracious to be able to put up with me constantly emailing him, asking him for references. And he just fed me references. And that's what got me hooked into biochemistry again. 
That's awesome. And it, it makes a lot of sense because obviously, I mean, I could tell uh, you're clearly a very intelligent person, but just because someone's smart doesn't necessarily mean they're going to automatically go to like the PubMed side of things. So you having kind of a science background in um, undergrad, that makes a little more sense. I'm like, how did you even, plenty of people don't even know what PubMed is, you know? Right. So right. cool. All right. So you're working with Chris and how long does it really take you to get results that you're noticing and like, wow, this is really putting me on the right track because we're always very realistic about that on here. When some people have been yeah. sick for decades, I mean, it could take, I mean, you're going to move the needle for sure, but yeah, it might take a full for year sure. before they're like, all right, I'm back to myself. So I'm curious what happened uh, in your case. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it's interesting because while we were making strides and I always equate it to stairs, right? So I definitely got better and got to go up some stairs, but then some stairs have longer landings. And, um, you know, I got to a point where I was feeling better. Um, I wasn't as fatigued as I used to be. Um, but still that pesky TSH, man. It was not, it was not hanging out where I needed it to be to go back to flying. And so, um, you know, he decided to enlist the help. He, he wasn't partnered, um, back then it was just Chris, right? So he wasn't partnered with, uh, any MDs at the time. So he referred me to somebody else in San Francisco to help me try and get the thyroid stable. And we did a little bit more experimentation with thyroid medication and, and that kind of thing. Ultimately, I ended up seeking out um, Dr. Adrian Stewart in Arizona, who was a thyroid ex expert and an ND, right? So she kind of had everything combined. And um, she was the one who really let me know that some particular individuals can be very sensitive to different types of thyroid medication. And why don't we try a different style of thyroid medication and see what happens? And lo and behold, stable ever since. So it did take a couple different practitioners to work with and kind of piece things together and continue looking at the other layers. Like every single practitioner that I worked with, and this is what I base my own practice on now is what is driving inflammation? They were always looking for what could be driving inflammation. And so we would look under every single rock and every single time I would address something, I would go up another stair step and then up another stair step. So it was a process for sure, but that's ultimately how it worked out. I love the stair step analogy. I found, um, I mean, it's not everyone's case. Some people are on those stairs, I guess. But I, I found a lot of the times I always warn people that are going through these types of journeys. It can be sometimes like a two steps forward, one step back type of thing. You know, you might mess up here and there, but don't worry. Like don't look day by day. Look, how did the last month go compared to the month prior? And when you look at it that way, you find, all right, you know what? I got a few less headaches or I had better days energy wise. So that's cool. Yeah. And how did this end up leading to you actually finding FDN and becoming an FDN practitioner? So I had come to the realization that stress was a major component to probably the creation of autoimmunity in my life, both long-term uh, chronic stress as well as acute stressing events that had happened in my life. And so knowing that aviation is a uh, very stressful environment, I really had to ask myself the question, do I want to get well enough to go back to work knowing that I'll be under that stress and feeling mediocre? Or do I want to find a career where I can feel amazing and have a ton of vitality and really feel 
youthful and vibrant again. And that was the the deal breaker for me in terms of deciding to um, re- retire from aviation, put that career behind me and move forward into something else. And since I knew that I was really loving the biochemistry and everything else, I started seeking out, well, what kind of accreditation, what kind of school could I go to? Do I really want to try and go back to grad school after I spent all my grad school money on aviation? You know, those kinds of things were really what I was looking at. And because of my knowledge of biochemistry and because of my understanding of the labs that I learned along the way of me getting them and understanding what was going on, I knew that I wanted to have the ability to run labs if I could, even if that meant me working in a clinic under the guidance of a doctor or whatever that happened to be. And when I stumbled upon FDN and understood that they were going to train us and allow us to be able to have that capability with the medical director program, that basically put the uh, nail in the board, so to speak. Like that was really the attraction for me because I knew that it was so useful for me in understanding what was happening for me. And I could use it as a tool to be able to show my clients what's happening for them. Awesome. I remember when I first heard about like this whole medical director program uh, concept with FDN, I was like, this is great because I already had another online certification. I'm like, I'm going to breeze through this and then have access to this stuff. And then you get into FDN, you're like, oh, they're not just throwing anyone through this. It's, it's tough. No. Um, yeah. But my girlfriend is literally finishing up her practicals right now. And the amount to that they've added to the course, just watching her go through, I'm like, I forgot how involved this is to, to learn yeah. about this stuff. And that's why it's yeah. really fun talking to FDNs because if that's all you ever did, you are still going to know a ton. Uh, but naturally, uh, most of us are people who clearly uh, continue their education uh, indefinitely. And it's always fun yes. talking to people like that. Now, yeah. when you did go through FDN, because I know this was more of a, this like idea of a career change, I always ask this question. So I, I want to today, did you find anything in the course and with the labs that we use that was like maybe new to you or a new healing opportunity uh, opportunity you hadn't focused on yet or had you kind of covered your bases for the most part? Um, actually, no, absolutely. There was, there was something that came up on the um, stool test, actually. So like I said, it's either stair steps or layers, however you want to describe it. But oftentimes when we are trying to rebalance the gut, if there is a history of pathogens in the gut or parasites in the gut, Um, sometimes you'll clear one and then that allows space for the other one to like come out of hiding. Um, and one of the things that we found while I was going through FDN is that I had been harboring, uh, Giardia for a long period of time. And I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. And in working with my mentor correlated some symptoms that I had associated were thyroid related which turned out not to be thyroid related. They were parasite related um, and really started to unfold some of that and peel away that layer of the onion too. So not always is the diagnosed condition, the blanket for all the symptoms that are being felt at that time. But for me, that was the association that everything that I was feeling was Hashimoto's and it doesn't and for those on audio that's in finger quotes um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's a related symptom to Hashimoto's and so there could be other things at play and so going through FDN even though I had already worked with several practitioners it was another deepening of my understanding of that concept of sometimes we have to go through this in in layers or in stair steps. 
Excellent. And thank you for uh, shouting out for our people on audio. I, I feel like I'm in my own world right now. I completely forgot about that. I'm going to have to get used to it. But that's cool. And that makes sense. And I think that's I'm glad I asked that question because we've had a few people on where they actually had done a ton of work, even like the correct kind of work, even before getting to FDN. So it's cool that when you go through it, there's still an opportunity um, to find those types of things if you were taking the course side of things. And obviously, for those listening, FDN Thrive is more for the consumer out there. They're not necessarily trying to become a coach and go through hundreds of hours of training, but they want the philosophy, right? They want the principles uh, used on them. So I want to transition a little bit here because I know that you and I had discussed before, there are a million different routes we can take. And after talking to you for 30 minutes here, I absolutely believe that. I think that's clearly backed up. But I want to take the opportunity today to focus a little bit on EMFs because that is the first time this has been brought up on the podcast. Um, it is something that is important. And I love that you have this very science-based background because, you know, it's not that it it's not that it becomes any less true when someone talks about EMFs in a certain way, but when you can't back these things up, it's very easy for this to come off as tinfoil hat-ish or what are you just being paranoid? It's like, guys. I should have brought my tinfoil hat. I'm sorry that <laughs> I should have worn them for the video. Right? That would have been something. I know, totally. That would have been get fun. fired from this job. But, but, but people don't realize nowadays because, again, PubMed is something that, I mean, it's not fully necessarily, you might have to purchase certain things. But regardless, you can see studies that are published. It is something anyone can yes. access. Not only do most people not know that, they have no idea what's coming out on a daily basis. We know that electromagnetic frequencies, non-native ones, do have an effect on human beings. Like that's not even that there's no controversy around that. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So let's break this down a little bit. I want to spend pretty much the remainder of the time on this because I think it's going to be fun. When we are talking about non-native electromagnetic frequencies, like what does this even mean for the person that has heard about this? They are open-minded to it, but they don't even understand. Like they're like, listen, I'm not a science person. I just I don't get what an EMF even is. Yeah. So first, let's just break down the the acronym is electromagnetic frequency, right? So everything has a frequency. We have a frequency. Water has a frequency, and then there's electromagnetic frequencies, which have a lot to do with electricity. So anything that is powered by electricity can have this frequency and it's a whole range of them. Um, And EMF today, when we're talking about EMFs, typically also includes radio frequencies. So that's um, radio or cellular or any of those kinds of things. Um, And it can also include the types of... um, So, for example, when we touch something that is plugged in, that electricity will actually pass over our skin and then exit our body. And we don't feel it, but it does cross a voltage across the skin. So there's several different ways that we can be exposed to these different frequencies. And they can have an impact on the biological body. And some people are more sensitive to it than others. And humans are very... um, complex uh, cellular structures, right? So we're not unicellular like a bacteria or a yeast or something like that. But most people tend to not really feel all that much because most of these things are very far away from us. But some individuals, and this is what got me very interested into it, is some individuals can be very affected. So when they are surrounded by these EMFs, they can feel a lot more fatigue. They can feel a lot more fibromyalgia type symptoms, those kinds of things. And I came across a study 
that had in PubMed that had talked about um, individuals who were sensitive, they found a correlation between um, traumatic brain injury, so TBI or head injury, and um, mold exposure or anything that can cause chronic inflammatory response syndrome, so um, mold or Lyme or something like that. So those individuals can become very EMF sensitive, but then once you correct those situations and heal those situations, they go back. And that's really kind of what got me fascinated about EMFs and really understanding their effect um, because I do have some clients who are that way. Okay. That's super interesting. And I remember because, again, I think if people just even understand what it is, then it allows them to have the train of thought of, oh, this this does matter. Because, for example, many people now are talking about even like the average person. We're, we're seeing like blue light glasses in the stores. Now, whether or not they're good ones, you know, that's a different story. When you – like by definition – the color spectrum includes these electromagnetic frequencies. So I heard this guy, Dr. Jack Cruz, who he's rather controversial in his own ways. Okay, I see the smile. So you must have uh, stumbled oh, upon Jack. him. Yes. <laughs> and he, you know what, though? As controversial as he is and as much as I don't like the communication style sometimes, and I'm not speaking on behalf of FDN, I'm speaking personally. Um, you know, I think he actually has a brilliant message. And I think if the communication style was changed, I'm trying to say this in a positive way. I think he would actually impact more people, but um, he's also brilliant. So maybe there's a strategy behind that. So I'll leave it at that. But he said something really profound and he's like, you know, this artificial blue light, this is the number one non-native EMF that's just really getting us. I'm like, that is really, really interesting. Um, so if people just thought about it like that, rather than get into the weeds with the uh, radio frequencies and cell towers and right. all this stuff, it might right. be easier to digest. Not that the other stuff isn't important. So I also, I mean, obviously I can tell the fascination with it and we've defined it. What are some practical things that you have found people can do in today's world? Because here's the thing that I've realized. Unless I am so sick and I'm just one of those people that's so ridiculously sensitive that I cannot live a normal life, I got to just deal with it. You know, I got a laptop in front of me. We got a microphone hooked in right now. And it does seem, in my experience, that there is a certain limit um, that you can handle if you're doing a lot of other health things right. So I'm curious what your tips are for either clients or just people in general about how we can mitigate some of these damaging effects because they're everywhere. I mean, we're getting hit with them all the time. Totally. Um, I think really, you know, from a practical standpoint, if somebody's curious about their environment, there are places that you can rent meters so that you can learn about your own particular environment. So um, one of the places that I rented meters from, it's emfcenter.com. And he will commonly, you know, you rent them for a week. He ships you the three meters. He gives you the instructions on how to do it so that you can learn about these things. And then you ship them back. Um, that was a huge learning experience for me because I started to get that reading, right? I love to measure stuff, being the science person. So I, I get the reading on the um, effect that particular appliances have or devices have, or I had an infrared sauna that turned out to be very high in EMF. And so I was like, huh, okay, got to get rid of the sauna, those kinds of things. So Having those kinds of tools available, it, I think that people should know that they are available. So you are, if you are curious, you can absolutely do that. But it doesn't mean that you have to do that to learn w- what to do with these things. So the way that I practically um, 
digest it down for my clients is, you know, think about it. If there's anything plugging into an electrical socket or running on batteries, any kind of electricity, we're going to have an increased exposure to that. And the exposure gets more intense the closer you are. So if you have a phone and you're holding onto your phone and it's not plugged into the wall, it's going to have a less intense EMF exposure to you than if you are charging it at the time. So that was something that I learned that I was like, oh, okay, when I'm charging devices, that's the time that I'm not handling the devices as much as possible. Or if I am working on a laptop, maybe I will work on it unplugged until it's close to dying and then plug it in and go take a break. Um, The wall oven, for example, or any oven that any kitchen appliance, major kitchen appliance um, that's run by electricity, when that's on, I now choose to chop my vegetables in a different location in the kitchen so that I'm not directly in front of it. And again, it's, it's, all how close you are to that device. So that's really the general advice that I give my clients is just think about whether or not it's plugged in, whether or not it's like actively on and you touching it and whether or not it's time that you can take a break or move further away from it. Um, And then also things like you know, if you are potentially renting a home or buying a home and there's like high power lines right over the home, I I would avoid those. Okay. And because I don't want to put words in your mouth here, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. One of the ways that I view the EMF thing, just because it is so ridiculously overwhelming in today's world. And again, uh, you thank God I'm not actively very sick right now. It'd be maybe a different story if I was actively very sick. I look at this very similar, at least in terms of how we mitigate it to like the pesticides and chemicals. I'm going to eat organic. I'm going to try to get local from farms that I know. But I also know unless I have this very isolated plot of land in the middle of Nowhereville that I'm controlling everything, there are just things that are in my food, no matter where I'm getting it from or how organic it is, that are not great. And that's what we're doing here, in my opinion. Like I'm lessening the food as being toxic or uh, lessening the toxins in the food as much as possible, but they're still there. I'm lessening uh, needless EMFs. Is that kind of similar to what you're saying here? Is that your thought behind it? Absolutely. Because unless you know what that plot of land is and do they have more, right? (laughs) Is it Siberia by chance? Um, So we can't, we're not going to live in a bubble. We're not going to live in a Faraday cage. Um, I don't advise it for mental health reasons, right? So the thing is being aware of it is the number one thing. Like just be aware of it and and be aware of your own usage so that you can balance it out. So for example, um, I remember I was doing, I think it was an Instagram live with somebody else and I was wearing AirPods at the time. And I remember somebody commenting like, oh my God, she wears Apple AirPods and the Bluetooth is killing her, you know? And I was like, I wear them like, once or twice a day, like not for very long. It's not. And that's the thing. Like you want to take notice of how it is that you're using and interfacing with these things. And if it is a lot of exposure, you want to do what you can to minimize it. So it's the same kind of thing, like overeating a particular food. I have my clients pay attention to like, okay, how many times a day are you eating almonds for snacks? If it's three times a day, maybe we should rotate that out so you're not overexposing yourself to almonds on a daily basis, right? So really just, it's the same kind of thing. So I ask my clients to see if you can get variety in the way that you're interfacing with these things and get some balance and then balance it out with time in nature, 
right? Balance it out with some grounding time. Go walk barefoot on the ground. Um, you know, different ways that we can, um, I guess, try and have that balance. Because you're right, it's we're not going to live in a bubble and we're not going to live in a Faraday cage. Although that might be a good business idea. <laughs> Should we yeah. make Faraday cage bubbles? Uh, maybe. I mean, definitely some type of retreat center. And that's something I'm, well, that's a separate conversation. But right. it, I mean, seriously, it, it would be wonderful to have places where people can go and have like extremely low exposure. Because I do think, and I, I feel like we're on the exact same page with this, which is nice. There is a time and place when people are like super sick. And some, again, it just seems as if some people get more sensitive to this stuff for various reasons. Yeah. I mean, you might want to go temporarily a little more extreme than the average person. Um, I know still to this day, I can feel a difference if I'm like in the middle of a city with an Airbnb. So I'm, I'm very cautious about how I travel and where I travel. Um, right now, we're lucky enough to be in North Carolina. And you know we're on top of like a general store type of thing, but it's very isolated. The cell service is crappy, which if you don't know what to do, can actually be to your detriment because the phone will look for that signal even more. Um, But I love your practical tips here. One of the things that I do that people don't even know about, and I feel like a phony right now because I I can't show you the video because I don't have it hooked up uh, with the Airbnb, but I have an ethernet cable that literally I have the converter for, for even as something like my laptop, the Wi-Fi is turned off. I have that wired to everything. Um, I have ethernet for my desktop. I don't even have Wi-Fi on there. And you can do that with your phone, I've heard too. I've never... I haven't taken the leap yet. I haven't gone to that extreme, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, but I mean, practical things like turning off Wi-Fi at night reduces your exposure for half of the, almost half of the day, right? A third of the day. And so instead of it being a 24 hour exposure, turning something like that off at night, it gives you a break from it. And, um, you know, that's really what it is, is we don't want to send those frequencies to the body and have it constantly barraged. We want to allow the body to be able to dissipate that stuff naturally and give it some time to do so. There's some interesting um, studies that I've seen. I think it, one was even a meta-analysis of like what the effects of relatively low frequencies, like in the 50 to 60 hertz range of um, like what it can do to melatonin production in mammals, including humans. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? Yes, yeah. I have seen this. Very yeah. fascinating stuff. And so my point in mentioning that is you just hit the nail on the head, like the uh, router thing's a big deal. And what's so cool is I'm in a weird transitional part right now with the pandemic where I did, um, and this was partially for an EMF thing. I can't say this anywhere else. It's so nice to have a podcast where people, if they've lift, listened this far, they're obviously into this stuff. I did a 60 day camping experiment last year. Cause like life was at the beginning of the pandemic. Beautiful. Yeah. Life was yeah. just ridiculous. So I told mom and dad, I'm like, I'm moving back. And they're like, okay, you feel like they thought I was someone who would never do that. I'm like, well, let me tell you how I'm moving back. And I literally camped in the backyard because they're in the middle of nowhere. It's just their router. Um, and so we've even experimented with turning that off for the night. And like my dad and stuff, he's not into this at all. And he's like, okay, I actually did get better sleep that night. So this is something that you can see in the literature. Um, if you live in an apartment building with a hundred of them, okay, that's a little tough. But still, like Torea said, there is um, – well, what is that called? Is it the inverse square law? Because I think that apply. Is am I saying that correctly? I think it applies to EMF. I think where, so. Yeah, the farther yeah. you are away, that yeah. is, you're getting a lot exponentially much, better. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if you actually take the meter and measure it, you can see that. Yes. And so, the closer you get to the device, the milligauss reading goes 
really, really high. So when you're measuring a device, you want to measure it from the distance which you would normally be using it, right? So when we measured the wall oven, for example, um, instead of holding the meter at the wall oven and getting 26 milligauss, we held it where we chopped vegetables and made a decision of, hey, do we want to be chopping the vegetables right here or can we move a few feet laterally and get out of that zone and do it over there? And that made it really useful for us to learn how to interface with our house in that way. Like how can we more effectively use our spaces so that we are reducing those overall impacts just through awareness. But yes, that. Proximity matters. I mean, I'm kind of pushing my time here a little bit, but I mean, it's more self-imposed time than anything. So I want to ask one more question before I get to the two final things, which includes um, obviously shouting out your business and stuff. Do you, I've heard a lot of people talk about, and I, I know that you kind of already mentioned this, but like the Faraday cages that are literally more or less around their beds, like they're in a canopy. And I've mm-hmm. heard great benefits from that. However, Guys, EMFs are not inherently bad. We like you said it beautifully, you know, we have a frequency. The earth has a frequency, you know. Yes. There are natural ones that we're supposed to be getting. So, yeah, you block some, well, you block the bad and you block everything. That's kind of an issue there. Uh well, not literally everything, but you guys for easier terms, you are blocking a lot of the right. good as well. And right. so I'm curious, I mean, like do you what are your thoughts with that kind of stuff? Because I know that we had talked about even unplugging the router or the Faraday gauge concept. I mean, people are getting impacted sleep because of this. So do you have an answer to that or are we just accepting that we cannot do it perfectly? I think there's many layers to that. So, you know, each person is going to be an individual. Is that person who is really, really, really affected by their sleep? Does that person, are they dealing dealing with mold toxicity? Do they have any um, brain injuries in their past that may not be fully healed yet? Um, you know, what is their overall health picture And for some people, that may make sense. You mentioned the apartment building that you can't get away from, you know, all of the different electrical boxes that are for each and every single apartment. That may be their situation. So I think considering your situation is is one way to look at it. But also there are there are things that you can do through healing the body. There are things that you can do by going out to nature, your camping experiment, right? Like go learn how to backpack and camp and go camp for two days. You would be amazed at the circadian rhythm and, you know, just overall health reset that you can get by being in nature for a little while. So, you know, there are things that we can do for that. I think for some some people that might make sense, but then it's also important to balance. Like you said, we don't want to block too much because we are designed to be part of the earth and the earth has its natural frequencies. So that's why it's important to balance that, that with things like grounding and getting out and taking a walk on the beach. Like there's a reason why we do these things. Yeah. This is, I told you before, this is something I see a lot with uh, people who have graduated. The longer they've graduated, the more I see this. I love all of your answers. They are obviously ones where a lot of options have been thought about, like they're thoughtful answers, you know, and they're realistic. It's like, okay, because it's so easy to get so scared about uh, gluten or EMFs or whatever. And these are important things. I mean, I love talking about them and I, uh, you know, act accordingly in my life. But the longer you get into this, you're like, all right, it's never usually this, this one magic bullet. It's about we have been in such a toxic soup of so many different things in our lives that when we just start reducing 
in many areas, we we end up feeling a lot better and we usually get well over time. Um, Absolutely. So, cool. I mean, we're wrapping up here. I want to ask though, because this is, you're a very unique person on the podcast for sure. And I feel like you're going to attract a very specific type of individual, but I always like to hear it from the person's own mouth. Like who is your ideal type of client? Who do you work with? And then where can they find your business? Where can they get in contact with you? Yeah, sure. So um, right now I've been working and focusing mostly on working with women who are either diagnosed with autoimmune or have chronic illness or suspect autoimmune might be at play. Um, that's the typical profile of, of people that I work with. Um, a lot of times they've already been through a couple practitioners or have been down the rabbit hole, have been doing AIP for a long period of time. They might find, they might find themselves, um, terrified of reintroducing new foods. They might find themselves, um, in a disordered eating profile, um, those kinds of things. So I work a lot with clients who really just want their life back. Like they've noticed that they've gone from being sick to being in this, like I'm stuck in a wellness hole. Um, and if I can't, I can't deviate. If I do, my health goes backwards, but I can't be social normally or whatever that happens to be. So I tend to work with clients like that um, and help them get their life back and help them find those kinds of balances where we can be both healthy and vital at the same time. And then, you know, to find me, it's my website, uh, TereaRodriguez.com. And so for anybody who is um, wanting that, I'm sure you're going to put it in the show notes because you got to know how to spell it. <laughs> Absolutely. Always in the show notes. And all right, Fantastic. this has been fun. I want to finish up with our signature question on the FDN Thrive podcast, what we always finish with. And I'm fascinated to hear what this answer is going to be from you. So simple uh, question, but usually interesting answers. And my question for you is, and I know that everyone's a bio individual, so humor me with this. If Terea had a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's actually start something or stop something, what is that one thing that you would get them to do? Take a walk at morning sunrise. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is... Uh, you get to check off a lot of boxes. So uh, you're checking off circadian rhythm. You're checking off uh, really good light exposure. So we talked about light a little bit, but you get that really good light exposure to not only trigger melatonin clocks 12 hours later, but to help with cortisol awakening response and that kind of thing. You get a little bit of movement, you get some fresh air, and you get some quiet time, which we all need. So, you know, it's not checking email first thing in the morning. It's getting up and taking a walk at sunrise. Well, my friends, I've been waiting for someone to say that answer. I am so big on morning light. And you know what? I usually try to do this podcast where we're highlighting guests, but I feel like I could get on here solo one time and talk about the benefits of light. I'm really big into that. It's been huge for my healing journey, and it's something that we focus on in FDN. But that's another conversation for another time. I just want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. My name is Evan Transu, aka Health Coach Ev, and I am your host as always. And we have been talking to the brilliant Terea Rodriguez. If you could be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it and share this podcast with people who need to hear it. That would mean the world to us. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the FDN Thrive Podcast. If you feel like you've been stuck in the cycle of trial and error when it comes to your health issues, our team can help. 
Whether you've tried every different diet out there without lasting success, spent way too much money on supplements at your local health food store, or been told that your lab tests are normal despite feeling anything but normal, we have your back. Go to FDNThrive.com and click the Get Started Here button if you're ready to stop playing guessing games with your health. That's FDNThrive.com.